This is Annie Grace, and you're listening to this Naked Mind podcast, where without judgment, pain, or rules, we explore the role of alcohol in our lives and culture. This episode is sponsored by The Alcohol Experiment, a free 30-day challenge designed to interrupt your patterns, give you control, restore your health, and put you back in touch with the version of you who doesn't need alcohol to cope, relax, or enjoy life. More than 220,000 people have already tried The Alcohol Experiment for themselves and have seen improved sleep, increased happiness, reduced anxiety, and so much more. Join thousands in this inspiring, hopeful, and exciting program where you examine your beliefs and reconnect with the best version of you without ever feeling like you're missing out. Start today for free at alcoholexperiment.com. Hello, everybody. I am Scott Pinyard, the head coach of This Naked Mind, and I am back with another edition of Coaching Questions, and I have another fantastic guest. Her name is Emma Gilmore. She's one of our fantastic coaches. How are you, Emma? I'm very good, Scott. Thank you very much for asking. So Emma, you focus on working with parents who have noticed their drinking has increased and they're worried about the impact um, this is going to have on their kids. Talk to me a little bit about that. I'm really interested in that. I know a lot of our, a lot of the people that are in our programs come to us with this concern. Yeah, I think that was where, when I um, decided to take a break from alcohol, one of my big motivators was that my kids who were 11 and nine at the time, had started to notice things about my alcohol use. And that really gave me, that really sat not well with me in terms of my values. Um, The idea that my children might be commenting and saying things around my alcohol use and maybe finding the way I was behaving in our family to be um, a bit disconcerting for them and maybe making them feel a little bit frightened. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly my kids had started to get to the point where they were like, mum, can you not bring wine into the bedroom? Um, hey, mum, you know, when you did this, it made us feel like this. And they definitely, I definitely got the impression that they felt a little bit unsure of themselves and not as safe as I wanted them to feel because and and, and part of that also might have been to do with my upbringing and the way that I thought um, felt like I wanted to show up as a parent Um, so that's really kind of what brought me um, to the place that I am now uh, with with the with working with this naked mind I totally get that I um to me, at least this question kind of boils down to two things, at least in my journey, right? One was the immediate experience my kids were having, right? So like, how was I showing up as a dad? Um, But then also, what was I teaching them long-term? You know, I had this, I have this story I tell in our program sometimes, some people listening to this probably heard it more than once. Um, But after I left college, I moved to New York City. and uh, a couple of years after that, I had a girlfriend move in with me and I had this routine where I came home from work every day and I put my bag down and I took off my shoes and I poured a drink um, and it was just what I did. And one day she asked me the most mind 
boggling question I could imagine. And she said, why do you always pour scotch when you come home? And I'm like, how is that even a question? Like, yeah, how I don't understand. Like, that's like asking why I walk on the floor instead of the ceiling, you know? But I recognized in that moment, like this was just what was around me, right? And so yeah. it really sort of clarified how, um, when I look back on that now, it really clarifies for me how much our behavior is transmitted that we don't necessarily see. Does that make mm. sense? Yeah, definitely. And certainly for myself, growing up in the family environment that I did, alcohol was 100% part of everything that we did as a family to the point where, you know, I'd go around to my gran and granddad's house and they'd be having a gin and chinzano, so like double spirit. Yeah. <laughs> Saturday morning to kick the weekend off. You know, it really was very much part of, of, of my upbringing. And also my parents were very much along the... Uh, belief that if you wanted to ensure that your kids were responsible around alcohol then you introduced them to alcohol early had alcohol in the home and that the, the concept at that time was that that would then um, mean that they would be more responsible with alcohol when they were outside of the home and of course now we know scientifically yeah. that that's not the case at all um, and from my own experience, I know that, that I, I absolutely drifted into alcohol as a teen um, very quickly, very hard. And um, I don't think any of the any of the um, that experience of drinking at home stopped me from behaving very irresponsibly and putting myself in very, very dangerous situations a lot. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, and I, you know, it's interesting because I mentioned this question comes up with people coming to our programs quite often, and um, I'd love to hear you talk a little bit. I'm happy to talk about it too, but um, there's so much worry and concern around this. Um, do you see the people that you work with able to resolve it and able to get to a good place for them and for their kids? Yeah, I, I do. And the reason I think that is because our kids are such powerful motivators for us yes. of all the motivation that we hear when we're talking to clients kids and they were for me as well i mean there was other things i wanted to lose a bit of weight so i wanted to get rid of some of the negative self-talk but my number one priority because the people that we will do anything for are our kids so yes. i think you couldn't have a better motivator and more and more we're seeing people understanding the impact of drinking in the home and you know you get on the zoom calls and you've got um the kids in the in the room and they're seeing us socializing in that way and they're thinking that that's kind of normal normal yeah. behavior and actually you know we're not we're not alone in those situations particularly with all of us who've been through lockdown and things like that the kids sure. have been around um, but what I what what I found and what the Australian Drug and Alcohol Federation have put out is that just as easily as our drinking can increase, um, especially with situations like COVID and everything else that's been going on, just as easily as it can increase, we can very quickly set back our role as a role model for our kids. And I think one of the greatest things is knowing that our behavior can, wherever we start it, be it in the kids, you know, when our kids are in their 20s, when they're in their teens, where our new behavior 
can start to have a big influence on their life. And I think yes. that's a really important part um, because I hear a lot from parents that they feel terribly guilty about um, the way that they've drunk. And, you know, I could have gone down that path myself. Um, but I think the really important thing to remember is it doesn't matter when you start. The impact can be so huge. And wherever you came from, that's how you've got yourself where you are now. So when you move from drinking too much in front of your kids to not drinking so much, you're, you've come, you've only got to that end place because you were at the beginning place. Yes. Yeah. That makes sense. It makes so much sense. And I often for myself, um, so my, I quit drinking about five years ago. So I had a one-year-old and a six, seven-year-old and um, you know, I've thought a lot about their early years and like what they've seen, particularly my older one. I don't think my son who was one, I don't think he remembers, but um, the one thing that has made me, or one, one of the things that has really given me a lot of peace is that I showed my daughter that I was struggling with something and then I was able to change it. Yeah, That is a huge gift. You know, yeah. to be able to see that transition, to see that like, hey, things can come up in your life and you can work on them. And the fact that it was me doing it and like, so to me that in a lot of ways, it's, um, it can be a real gift for the, for our kids to see us, you know, work on, struggle with, and eventually get to the other side of this. Um, I think it's a great lesson in a lot of ways. I mean, would I sign up for it voluntarily? No, <laughs> but, but um, I think it's, I think it's, uh, it's often a good, it's yeah. setting a good example, I guess, of, of taking care of yourself. Totally. totally. Yeah. All right. I could talk about this all night, but I need to not do that because we have some questions to get to. Uh, so let me read the first question and we can dive in. So question number one goes like this. Hi, I have multiple kids who have been seeing me drink for as long as they can remember. It really wasn't a problem until about two years ago when their dad and I divorced. Then things escalated for me and I've had multiple different conversations with, sorry, multiple difficult conversations with them. They've asked me why I do it as much as I do and why won't I stop? I'm actively working to change this. I'm in the live alcohol experiment and I'm planning on continuing on in the path. Here's my question. I'm not there yet, but I'm working on it. How do I explain this to my kids in a way that they'll understand? I don't want them to think that I drank or when I have data points now, I do it because I don't care about them. Mm. That's a beautiful, beautiful message and a beautiful question. Um, in terms of the kids and uh, the person not caring about them, I think they're very much going to know that you're caring about them because you keep trying and mm. I think that's the amazing piece of resilience that Scott you were talking about there that ability to be able to pick ourselves back up get back on with what we're trying to do and demonstrate that for our kids I think what you know it becomes more and more apparent that things like resilience are so huge um, in our happiness um, and being able to model that for your kids would be just tremendous. 
Yeah, I totally, I love that. And, you know, the other thing that this makes me think of is, you know, this idea of explaining to your kids. I find, <clears throat> I find personally that talking to someone who hasn't necessarily dealt with this before, while they might be really supportive, it's, it's a real experiential thing, you know? And by that, I mean, you kind of have to go through it to really understand it. Um, to me, the biggest message here is that, you know, your kids heard you and you are working on it, or sorry, you heard your kids and you are working on it. And depending yeah. on how old they are, and I don't think it says that in the question, but depending on how old they are, um, you can talk to them about it. You know, mm -hmm. you can tell them um, some experiences. I mean, my daughter's 11 and she knows what I do for a living. And she remembers when I used to drink. And she, she asked me questions all the time. Not all the questions, you know, am I answering, you know, all the way with full transparency I and mean, she's just 11, but yeah. being able to talk about, like, I remember one time she asked me, um, why did you drink so much? Mm -hmm. And it was a great opportunity for me to talk about how, you know, alcohol is an addictive substance mm -hmm. to everybody, right? That's the science yeah. that, you, that you were referencing before, Emma. Yeah. And it gives, it also gives me a good, you know, it also gave me a good, excuse me, opportunity to talk about, you know, there were some emotions going on for me that I wasn't taking care of really well. Mm -hmm. So there's always going to be an angle. And again, depending on how old they are, um, where you can have that conversation, you know, yeah. and and I will also add to that, and I'll, I'm sure you have something else to add on yeah. to this, but I'll also add to that, that you don't necessarily have to talk to them about every step. They see it, yeah. right? Yeah. In the same way I was talking about having that scotch when I came home every night, um, they notice it, you know, yeah. they notice the changes. And I've heard that from so many people who've gone through this. Absolutely, absolutely. I think um, just being able to offer that to them is, is, is so powerful. I think, um, I know for me, when I stopped drinking, the difference that my kids basically said to me that they felt like they felt so much safer. Yeah. Um, they felt so much safer with somebody in the house who was actually in, in control, who could, you know, drive places and do the things that were needed and wasn't likely to fall over and stumble or pass out in a taxi or, you know, those kind of things. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I, that, that issue of safety, I think is really interesting, you know, yeah. and that presence that we're able to bring to a regular Thursday night instead of that sort of absence, even though we're there physically, um, they notice that they, they get yeah. that. So, sure. um, yeah, so I hope that helps. So the person who wrote in that question, I hope that helps, but there are a lot of opportunities to talk, but there's also a lot of opportunities just to be wow. an example. Um, mm. That's huge. Mm. Yeah. Let me go on to question number two. It goes like this. I went alcohol-free two years ago and never looked back. I'm going to pause reading that and say congratulations. That is yeah. super awesome. Um, now back to the mess, to the email. Um, thank you, Intensive. Now I'm dealing with my son. He's 15 and some of his friends are starting to experiment with alcohol. I don't want to make it a forbidden taboo. That's where the allure was for me as a teenager. But instead, I want him to know where this could potentially lead. What's the best way to have this conversation? Mm. That is so interesting because I'm going through something really similar at the moment. Different 
level, but with my 12 and a half year old, who has suddenly gone from being a um, primary school or elementary school kid to going to high school and being a teenager. She's mm. grown, she's gone through puberty. She's, yeah, she's like a full grown adult and it's very shocking. It's happened in a very <laughs> short period of time. But in her group of friends, one of the things that is a very attractive and seems to be very trendy is drinking energy drinks. Mm. And so all of a sudden, all this stuff that I've brought into my family in terms of, you know, healthy eating, looking after yourselves, not putting, bad things into your body even though I wasn't demonstrating that for a long time when I was drinking um is is kind of counter to what's happening with her and yeah. so it's very similar it's very cool in her group to be drinking these drinks and she if I turn around and go that's so bad don't do that and yeah. you know I'm very sort of telly and judgy and whatever that automatically gets her back up and I have exactly the same concerns that she'll go underground and start drinking our <laughs> drinking um energy drinks in a in a in a secretive way and I don't want that to happen at all so it's a very very fine line and I think the way that we've dealt with it and she's she's still occasionally I mean she only gets a really limited amount of pocket money still which she moans about all the time so she can't actually I would never buy them for her myself yeah and she can't actually um really afford <laughs> but that aside um we have a, we have had a conversation about it and i've said to her look you know this is what these energy drinks can do and this is what the um and just in terms of very factually you know this is what what can happen to you if you, you know you've got this hugely elevated caffeine in your body and um it, it brings on risk-taking behaviors and there's all these other kind of factual yeah. pieces of information about energy drinks and I've also make it very clear that I won't you know as I said I won't buy them for her but um as she's going to be out in society she she will have to make those decisions I cannot control her and as a teenager I'm much more of a coach than a um a manager in this yes situation. yeah we're together <laughs> and I, I can all I can hope is that the 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 mod the behavior that I model in terms of what I put into my body and the conversation that we can have without emotion again one of the great things about stopping drinking is being able to have that less reactive conversation mm -hmm. and that much more responsive conversation considered conversation um, that she has all the facts she knows all the information and she will, she, you know, I can only hope that she will make the right decisions. I love that. And it's totally true. I mean, I know, I don't know, I'm 40 years old, so the things have changed. Uh, but when I was a kid, I noticed that uh, a lot of parents tried to control, right? Tried to like exert control on what their kids do um and by the way take personal ownership of their child's choices yeah right. um and so the stakes end up being really high for them yeah. right because they almost feel like oh well if junior goes out and drinks then like that's somehow a reflection on me yeah. Yeah. and i've always found that to be kind of false wrong right yeah. because June, the whole point of this is that junior is becoming their own person. And so yes. I love what you said about like, you know, giving the information and that's, I think it's really important. The one thing I would 
add to that, and this is something that I wish I had thought about more um, when I was, I didn't actually start drinking when I was, a, until I was in college, believe it or not. Um, I had very unusual in that way. I avoided it like crazy during high school because I was afraid of it. Um, but when, when I started working with this naked mind and reading the book while I was still drinking, there was several sort of myths about alcohol that once I spent some time thinking about it, I was like, oh yeah, that really isn't true. And one of those myths is that it feels good. Yeah. Um, and, you know, depending on how open um, this person is with their, with their son, um, really having that conversation about, you know, I can't stop you from doing it. I know that, but let me give you some things to think about and putting that idea in your head of like, just see if you do do it, like see how you feel an yeah. hour after you start. Like just stop and check in with yourself. Yeah. Um, it was such a huge, like mind shifting moment for me when I read this in this naked mind. Well, I, not when I read it, but then later that night when I started drinking and then I actually like, I set an alarm on my phone to go off and just say, how are you feeling? And when I realized I'm like, oh, I feel gross. Like I feel kind of yeah. sick. Like I don't feel, so that's a, another way to go about it too, you know, that like, yeah. there's a lot of perceived benefits and, you know, friends are always very, very happy to egg each other on and, and right. all of that. But the reality is like, is it worth it if you feel like garbage? Mm -hmm. You know, um, I think that was, that was a, that's something that could be very interesting to talk about as well. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I might, might use that with my daughter as well. Feel free. Um, <laughs> I'll send you a bill. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I think that, that um, everything I've learned around emo emotionally intelligent parenting really just um, reiterates what you're saying there, Scott, is very much about the goal should be connection. The goal yeah. should always be connection. So if we can talk about things you know, in an unemotive way where we're not making any judgments, fantastic. But the most important thing is keeping the connection going with our kids so yes. that we're not the person that they won't come to if they find themselves in a, in a scary situation. We're not the person they won't call if they're feeling vulnerable, you know, because they're more worried that we will get angry with them than that will be there to help them to save them. And they might look for somebody else in that situation yeah. who may not have their best interests in heart. Uh, that's such a good point. And, you know, that brings to mind this idea that, you know, we, in order for us to do that, well, I don't know about you, Emma, but for me, like I think of putting myself in that situation in order to really create that environment where say my daughter would call me, yeah. um, maybe let's say she had been drinking you know, and then realized, remembered, dad told me to ask me how I feel. And now I feel terrible. Like yeah. in order to be in that situation, I have to put my own emotions in check, right? Like I need to, um, I need to work on how I think about and feel about my kids because they are becoming, they are becoming their own people. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, taking some of that fear, which I'm going to guess is what it is for most of us, you know, especially yeah. a 15 year old son talking about this and actually working on that for ourselves and, you know, digging into that a little bit just makes us even more available for them. Um, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Let's do another one. This is good. Um, I had so many questions about 
parenting, by the way. I was excited yeah. when you were coming on because I'm like, oh, I got a ton of these. Um, all right. Question number three goes like this. Hello, I have a lot of regrets when it comes to my kids and my behavior as a drinker. I have four kids under 13. Holy cow. Let me just say that. Uh, four kids under 13. And I don't think now is the right time to talk about it. But at some point, I want to tell them that I'm sorry. Is that counterproductive for me? It's a really interesting, really interesting question. Um, and I think really, again, if you're talking about uh, going back to them and saying what you're sorry about, I think that's really a, an individual uh, response, I think, but um, that would work, depend on the relationship that you have with your kids. What it sounds like is that you have a lot of regret around your behavior. And what I would start focusing on is your relationship with yourself about that. Um, because I think how the relationship that you have with yourself and what you demonstrate for your kids will absolutely shine through that, you know, that you have regret for those things because you've changed them. But I think the deeper thing it sounds like to me would be to start to make peace with what's happened in your past and to give yourself um, the credit and the love for what you're trying to do now um, and understanding a little bit like we said earlier that you wouldn't be where you are now if you hadn't been where you were then and how much you've grown and what's changed in your life based on the changes that you've made with alcohol. Mm. Yeah, this one gets me a little bit uh, thinking about it. Um, so I totally agree in working uh, on the way that you're feeling about yourself. Um, and I also see, you know, I also see like there's a reason, I don't remember what step number it is in AA, but there's a reason that there's that step about making amends, right? About talking to people that you have hurt. And it is not just so they feel better. Um, it actually helps you feel better. Um, and, and in a lot of time, in a lot of ways, it, uh, it puts some closure on things for you. Um, and so I think that can be absolutely um, something that isn't counterproductive, but it's all about how you do it. Um, just like with everything else at this naked mind, the ideas that we have, the way we frame things for ourselves, right? The reasons we have for doing things um, are going to really impact how we experience them. And so, for instance, you know, we're a compassion based method of quitting drinking. What does that mean? That means that we don't try to use willpower and just beat the crap out of ourselves if we quote unquote fail right? Like we lead with grace, we lead with compassion. And I think if you take that same approach uh, in talking to your kids, especially about past regrets, um, that can be really, really helpful um, so that you don't get yourself into a situation where that conversation is counterproductive. Because yeah. here's the thing, if you show up at the dinner table one night, 10 years from now, and you're, it's time to have that conversation and you just start beating yourself up again, um, you're not gonna feel good. And as a matter of fact, your kid might not actually hear what you're trying to say because they're gonna see, oh, look at that, dad's sad. I wanna make yeah. dad feel better. When your intention is to communicate something to them. Yeah. 
Um, so there are a few concrete things that I think can be very helpful. Um, so I did this with both of my kids uh, when they were really young. Um, I got them both email addresses. Um, and I send them emails from time to time. They don't know about these email addresses. Um, and I have an email to both of them um, about this exact thing, um, but I didn't send it. Uh, I wrote it I wrote it uh, when I was about six months alcohol free and things were starting yeah. to become clear, like, oh wow, look at all of this that has happened, you know, when you start to come to terms with things. Um, but I saved it, right? And I know a lot of people will write letters uh, in yeah. the same sort of way, sort of expressing how you're feeling. And what I think can be really, really powerful about that is whenever the time is right to have the conversation with your kids, um, you can go back and look at that letter. Like I can go back and look at those emails and decide, is this how I really wanna say it now? but I can yeah. also get a sense of the emotion that I was feeling then. Um, and that I think is super duper valuable. Um, so really, I don't think it's necessarily counterproductive as long as you're not hurting yourself, if that makes yeah. sense. Totally, totally. I feel the same way. I've used writing letters to myself mm -hmm. a lot in the work on my journey, you know, yeah. writing letters to my teenage self, writing letters to myself in my 20s and 30s when I was working in corporate. I find it really, really useful to acknowledge and have compassion for where you were at that time mm -hmm. in yourself. And also the, you know, the amazing things that you did do at that time as well, because there's always going yeah. to be things that you did that were terrific. And decisions that you made that were that were good as well and you know as Annie always says you were doing the best you could with the tools that you had at the time you know yeah yeah and to you know when the time is right to have that conversation look at how many and how much better your tools are yeah you know? totally, totally awesome all right so with that got us through the three serious questions now I get to ask you the curveball question are you ready <laughs> yep all right, so Emma, if you were an ice cream flavor, what flavor would you be? I just instantly came tutti frutti. Do you have that flavor in the US? We do, and I love that answer. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I love it. That's a perfect, perfect, perfect answer. And if you're watching on video, what color is your hair, Emma? It's like red it's like and pinky. Pinky red, and you got this colorful top. It's perfect. It's perfect. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you so much for hanging out with me for half an hour. Um, Emma, if people want to find out uh, more about you, what is your website? Uh, it's www.hoperisingcoaching.com. Awesome. Thank you again. Thank you, Scott. And uh, thank you to those of you who listened. We will be back again with another edition of Coaching Questions. Until then, take care. Thank you.
Did you miss this Naked Mind Live? Do you maybe have a little bit of FOMO? But don't worry, I've got you covered. In fact, I had the entire event professionally recorded and it's available digitally. Transformation in your living room. Yep, that is what it's all about. You can grab your digital ticket at thisnakedmind.com forward slash digital ticket. And as always, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast as it truly helps the message reach somebody who might need to hear it today.